Welcome to Culture Unplugged, powered by BTS. I'm Vanola Smith. We will unpack workplace culture through the lens of diverse people across organizations and really talk about how we can all see one another better while delivering business value. I'll be joined by my BTS colleagues, clients, experts, and thinkers as we unpack how we can reimagine workplace culture. Powered by BTS, this is Culture Unplugged. Join us as we reimagine workplace culture. My first guest ever is Soma Zaiman, our fearless leader at BTS Africa. Soma's kind, she's in tune, resolute, fearless, passionate about growing others and is really intentional in how she leads. Soma obtained a MBA from the Gordon Institute of Business and is also a business law graduate from the University of Pretoria. She has extensive experience in banking and professional services. And before joining BTS, Soma worked in the financial management industry as an independent consultant in economic development and as a business and executive coach across industries. She joined BTS as a consultant, then senior consultant, and grew to today lead the Africa operations as managing director. Soma loves running, exercising, and, you know, I admire her ability to be up at 4 a.m. having a swim. Soma has been an amazing ally to me and a champion for diversity, equity, and inclusion, both at BTS and externally. Soma has played an important role in making culture unplugged happen. And so today she shares her leadership journey. She shares the moments that shaped her. And we have a conversation about her passion for inclusive leadership and ways in which leaders can show up. Soma, thank you so much for agreeing to being part of the very first episode of Culture Unplugged. Um, I like how I'm thanking you for being part of the first episode, but you are the person who, when I was like, we should do this conversation, let's do something, let's have this series, let's start this dialogue, you know, about how we can make and reimagine workplace culture. Um, you were like, yes, of course, let's do it. So thank you. Really appreciate you just being here, but also being such a champion for this type of conversation, but for inclusion, you know. Um, for some of you who don't know, Soma is my boss. <laughs> so it's a double privilege. I have a very expensive guest with me um, who could be doing many million things um, to keep our business going. But uh, this is one of those things, right, that keeps our business going, having conversations about how we can continue to connect as people, see one another as people, but build working environments where people can do the best work of their lives. So again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Bonola. I would be nowhere else today. And you know, that's, that takes a lot because I, I don't like being in front of the mic. Mm -hmm. So no real privilege to work with you in this space. And um, yeah, looking forward to, to the conversation. Awesome. Amazing. Soma, you've been a leader at BTS um, for many years now. You've been at BTS for 11 years. And I can imagine that that journey... A lifetime. Um, <laughs> a lifetime. Feels <laughs> like a lifetime. I can imagine that that journey, just coming in as a consultant, 
blew my mind that you started as a consultant. I started as a consultant. Um, that journey, right, has been defined by many key moments, many different experiences, personally, professionally. And I'd just love to hear what that experience has been like for you, you know, as a leader, as someone who started as a consultant and is now the managing director of an incredible organization. Yeah, Benola, it's, it's actually interesting. When I started as a consultant, I I wasn't thinking I was going to stay here for so long. My husband and I both were consultants, consulting into business development. We built business incubators. I did some coaching, uh, actually sold some software, actually at some point sort of uh, running a hardware store. But um, we realized that we can't have two consultants in the house. We needed oh. some... Uh, some salary, some consistent income throughout the months. And yeah, that was it. I had to go and look for a job. So in the beginning, I thought it was going to be a contracting position. But after a week, the previous MD asked me to, to stay on and to yeah become part of the permanent BTS family. I know that, you know, you're talking about how you were a home of two consultants, you are a mom to two boys. Am I like disclosing <laughs> your parental status? But I know that, you know, that's a big part of your life as well. So, you know, I'd love to hear more about just then this commitment to step into the consulting world, um, given the many hats as well that you were wearing. Mm. Yeah, um, it, it- all came together quite nicely because of what I I studied financial management. Um, I did coaching. I wanted to be a teacher, actually. My parents were academics. Mm. And I thought I would take the same route, you know, research, come up with some new, I don't know, new philosophy or some new thinking out there. But um, over time, I realized I didn't want the salary of a teacher and stay at home holidays. Uh, mm. I wanted to do something different. So I went in a, in the financial route, but full circle back to teaching adults or learning with adults. Let me rather put it that way, mm. which is a privilege to mm. be involved in. Mm. Um, and as you said, to inspire and equip people to do the best work of their lives, mm. which is what we're passionate about. So I do want to recognize, you know, that as women, there are often ways in which we're expected to lead and we face the danger or, you know, some traps of assimilating into a male dominated culture or, you know, facing the pressure of leading like a man or leading like men, whatever that means, right? Whatever that means. And as now the MD of BTS Africa, as someone who's been in leadership positions, how have you navigated that? So it's a, it's almost like a natural progression, I would say. Um, I was the oldest of six kids. Uh, so I guess I, you know, I gave them instructions from a very, very young age. Um, no, not really. I was playing the role of a big sister. Mm. I didn't see myself as a leader. Um, I did somehow land up in leadership positions throughout my schooling at university, but also um, as I studied further and, and coming into the organization. So it's almost like naturally gravitating towards that. Um, but it's more, I think it stems from wanting to help people to, to be the best they can be, mm-hmm. to uh, live up to their full potential, to help them see that they can do much more than what they maybe thought was possible. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm quite passionate about that. And I guess it started from... Um, being the older sister 
and wanting what's best for my siblings and trying to to emulate that. So that's that's the example I have. But from thinking about uh, maybe a male-dominated culture or a way of leadership in the past and traditionally that has been seen as a way of leading that, that maybe doesn't sit comfortably with everybody mm. – um, I realized at a young age that what people were saying, and especially especially some people in my family, what they were saying and what they were doing were a bit different. So that incongruence, you know, didn't sit well with me. And I think one of my my big values, maybe my biggest non-negotiable, is is I believe in fairness. And um, if we don't do what we say and we do it differently with different people, the theory and the practice look very different then I'm very uncomfortable. And I think that's that's something that I hold dear and that I try to emulate or to to apply or implement wherever I am. And I would say that's maybe the foundation of my leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I mean, there are a lot of theories out there, but I need to be who I can be. And as I, as I grew in BTS as well, in the beginning, I didn't really want to play a big leadership role because my kids were very young and there was a lot of traveling involved. But I realized I can have a big impact. Um, I could help people, uh, you know, grow and um, also grow in BTS, but not only in BTS, outside as well. Uh, and I, I guess it sort of pulled me in mm-hmm. a little bit. Love that. Thank you for that, Tom. And I've actually... I've personally seen how how that leadership style or your how um, shows up in how you lead us as a team. <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm sharing something about you, but you've consistently keep winning this Growing People Award internally. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really testament to how important it is for you to empower others, to help others grow and, um, yeah, help people show up as their authentic selves. That's certainly something that I've felt you've been able to do for me. Um, you know, as, as a black young woman in corporate, being able to show up as your full self is something that's important to me. It's a value for me. And to have a leader, a strong and meaningful ally like yourself, who's able to to create that room, create that space for me to do that has been incredible. So thank you. And I'm not just saying that. <laughs> you know, and we know that leaders, right, have a big impact on organizational culture. So, you know, you've spoken about how it's important for you to be able to show up as yourself and, and grow others and nurture and so on. But, you know, we know that leaders do have a disproportionate or big impact on organizational culture. And I've seen you lead in different ways, lead from the back, lead from the front, thinking about how you helped us navigate through a global pandemic as an organization. We've, we've told you many times that you held that gracefully. You, you really held space for us in a time of uncertainty. I think we were all experiencing different things. All of us, everyone, including yourself, both personally, it translated professionally. And, um, I think one of the amazing things from that experience is how our team culture has continued to be strong and continues to be one that is very people centered. And we talk about, you know, the people side of things, which is what we do, but it's, it's something that we live. And I'm quite curious to, to hear from you. What is, you know, post pandemic 
organizational culture look like? Perhaps you can reflect maybe for our team, but just, you know, generally, what are some of the things that we can learn from that time or do anew or reimagine from a workplace perspective and, and our culture? If you think about that practically, organizational culture is something that lives, right? Uh, we can... We can aim to make it something, we can aim to shape it as leaders, but it is ultimately what is in existence. And we can have an inspirational culture, um, and if we don't get people around us to believe and live the same thing, it doesn't matter what you say as a leader. And that's very much about our different perspectives coming together and how we allow for that. Um, and if we help people to be to bring their best selves to work. I realized quite early on in the pandemic that, um, you know, if we're not going to look behind the masks, we're not going to survive as an organization, as a, as a BTS Africa. And what that also meant, unfortunately or fortunately for me, was that I needed to put my own mask down and become more vul- vulnerable, which is not something that is easy, especially if you're a very private person. Mm. If you, um, you always think you, you ask other people questions, it's more comfortable to have other people speak mm. um, by asking the right questions, by um, looking at the right things. You can have people learn while they're talking. But then, you know, showing vulnerability and showing something of yourself almost and the right conversation earns you the right to hear other people's perspectives. Mm. And if you don't do that, then you're not going to grow and change and shift the culture together. It makes me think of the the name of the podcast, right, what we called it, uh, Culture Unplugged. It is, if you think about to unplug would mean that all the instruments uh, have got the same decibel mix opportunity, right? Um, if we emphasize some voices as opposed to others, we are not... We are not hearing everybody. And for me, that is, apart from earning the right to hear different perspectives, we need to also give the opportunity for those different perspectives to be to live together. Mm. And, uh, you know, I guess I may be sometimes naive and uh, I believe in a utopia that might not exist, <laughs> but I do believe that we can uh, get more useful engagement, meaningful engagement with each other if we, if we listen and earn the right to hear those perspectives. Um, as soon as we put something on an amplifier, um, that already distorts what we're wanting to create. So after the pandemic, or um, we're not entirely after the yeah. pandemic, it's, we're still in the throes of it, mm. and there might be something new coming up um, in the next couple of months. We know that that is potential to happen. So how do we, how do we work with people uh, while they people mm. and not trying to be something else. How do we make um, a work life uh, not balanced but more like an equilibrium where sometimes it would look different and it would also fluctuate? Mm. How do we make that a space where people can bring their best selves, their authentic selves? Sometimes we don't look our best mm. then, um, but that doesn't matter. Mm. How do we co-create where we want to go as a country, as a community and also as, a, as an organization? Um, I think is quite important. I don't know if I answered your question. You actually. did. You did. And I, I just want to pick up something that you said, which was about taking off the masks. And I think 
that period forced many of us to do that, right? Um, there's only so much pretending you can do. <laughs> the whole world has been rocked by a pandemic and it was just the deep throes of that pandemic. But I think that is something that we do. Part of our work is to help people take off those masks and to really say, what if, what if you stepped into your power? What if you drew power and inspiration from who you are, you know, beyond the masks? What, what might happen? What could you achieve? And I think that's such an important part of culture and organizational culture. But to your point, we do need to earn the right to to see that and hear people's stories and for people to show us, you know, the other side of the mask. And I think if you think about institutions, historically, organizations, it can be such a rigid, the personal is personal, the professional is professional, but we know that there is an intersection. We know that the, the personal is professional and the professional can be personal and listening to you speak I think this is such an important part of um, leadership or for leaders to recognize that yes you know people are coming in they're coming in to to try and do their best work or you know the best work of their lives but they can't leave themselves at the door I want to maybe pick up on what you said in that you know we, we keep on hearing more and more of the team as the new hero mm. and I do think you know, as leaders, um, especially during COVID, uh, many leaders had very difficult times because they, they try to carry, they try to save the business and they realized they couldn't do this. They need to step aside from their ego and also ask the team to, to lead, right? And everybody can lead to a certain extent uh, in their capacity, maybe even more. If we can see people for more than they are um, or what they believe they are, then uh, our universe of opportunity and um, ideas and ways we can grow the culture is so much bigger. So that makes it even more important to see everybody and to help them grow uh, and to grow together. Mm. Um, In a sense, I think uh, COVID, remains a tutor for us all in the sense that, or for me personally, that I keep on learning and where I thought I might have been an expert, in some areas I feel Mm -hmm. like a rookie. And I think if we're comfortable with that, um, comfortable with that discomfort of not always knowing what we thought we should have known, um, then it's also so much easier um, to make that happen. But I also think you spoke about uh, pitching up with my authentic self. And I think sometimes the word has got a bad rap. Mm. Um, but it doesn't mean that we can, you know, just if we have a bad day, we can just authentically, you know, impact everybody. Right. That's not what we're saying, right? But as long as we keep on thinking about keeping our, our basic human dignity intact, of helping each other to to have dignity, to, to not feel that your shape, you're losing your shape, mm-hmm. Or you need to be something completely different. Um, if we can, yeah, and, and I guess I would like to stop there. But I, I think basic human dignity is a, mm. is a key, key thing for me that we need to think about going forward. It doesn't matter where in the organization mm. you sit, uh, top level, front, front line, um, working in the bakery, wherever. Mm. Um, it's important that that is recognized for everybody. Mm. Um, Intensively. Mm. 
I love this idea of dignity as a crucial part, right, in terms of how we interact with one another, seeing each other, you know, seeing seeing one another's dignity, but preserving it in a way, you know, um, and just recognizing that it's a human interaction. As a human, this is what I'm going through as a human. This This is how I can maybe be a safe space for you or recognize where you are and uh, meet you where you are, you know, because days are different. But fundamentally, we're all looking to have our dignity respected. Um, we're all looking to be able to, you know, have experiences where we know that by showing vulnerability, I won't be judged or by owning or recognizing that I'm having a bad moment or a bad day or whatever it may be. I won't be viewed as less than, you know, because all of it is part of that human experience. We're talking culture unplugged. And I think one of the things when we unplugging the old ways of working or reimagining working culture and working organizations, what we want to do is also think about how we foster an environment where everyone feels like they belong. It's a big thing for me as the DIB lead um, for our EMEA region, but also part of our internal work that we're doing, but work that we're doing for our clients as well. And I'd love to, I'd love for us to talk about just the equation, right? This diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, but also justice as part of that, you know, equation. We know that diversity is a fact, um, Often when organizations look at it, it's from a numbers perspective. We've got X amount of people, X amount of people in leadership positions. So it's a fact. It's something that we see and can be viewed or seen in organizations. But not many organizations get that right. I think in our country, in our context, our laws, you know, employment equity and so on, BE policies are really um, striving to ensure that the fact of diversity, that organizations, corporate institutions are look more like our nation, are representative at various levels, right, of, of leadership um, throughout the organization. So that's the diversity piece. There's the equity piece really around our policies and ensuring that, you know, there is equity, equity is achieved. And then there's the inclusion piece, which is the choice, right? Um, just because we have diversity, just because there's equity within an organization doesn't mean that it's going to translate to inclusion. And inclusion being the choice that we all need to make every single day that how might I include someone else? How might I ensure that how I'm showing up, how I'm behaving is not excluding, you know, those I work with, those around me. And then there's that belonging piece, which is very much about how people feel. How do I feel showing up into this environment? How do I feel contributing? Do I feel like this space is for me and speaks, speaks to my aspirations, um, it receives all of me. So it's that conversation we're just having. So it's that conversation we're having about authenticity, authentic self, um, psychological safety. So a lot of that speaks to that belonging piece. And then the justice element to say, how are we really addressing some of the structural systemic 
challenges. And we know in South Africa, in our context, there's still a lot of that. And it shows up in this conversation. So I'm quite curious, Holmes, just to hear your thoughts on that, on how those elements play um, or intersect and come together in in our space as an organization, but also how we help clients think of um, or think about that work. Yeah, I wish there was a, a formula, right, that we could apply and we could fix and include and belong and, and make sure that, um, you know, we could all do this together and have the same opportunities and uh, not because of that, but because of what we could build and how many more people we could include into um, employment, into the economy, um, etc. But I, I do think that the elements can't, can't work in isolation. So, um, we can work on diversity and numbers, uh, to a certain, to a certain extent. We can try and increase numbers, but that's not going to give us belonging and inclusion, right? The spirit of it is extremely important. And what I've seen over a number of years in different companies that I've worked for, and maybe also in companies that we work with, is that, um, the numbers and the scorecard become very important, but it remains a compliance issue. Huh. And I do think sometimes it's because of the fear of what we need to change, um, the fear of what I might need to give up, especially speaking from a, from a position of privilege. Um, I'm almost like a perfect stereotype if you think about it. White Afrikaans lady, uh, Christian upbringing from Pretoria. Uh, my father was a Germany, a pastor, uh, if you want to maybe use a English term to describe that. But then also, I mean, he, w- he went to Lusaka to speak to the ANC um, before the ANC was unbanned. Um, I remember sitting in, in the church thinking about, we're talking about good and evil, and there's only white people in this building. Um, and outside, some people can't enter. So for me, it's, um, it's a continuous journey. It's, a, it's, it's trying to understand more of why people we trust tell us certain things that just doesn't make sense. So I realize that the, the perfect manual is not out there. I'm not one day going to be 40 or 50 and I'm going to have the book of how to make everything work. We need to write it and we need to write it together. And I can't write it alone. I have my own thoughts. I have my own experiences, but there are lots of other people with their own. So we need, we need to find each other and it's, it's not going to be from different power positions and so on. We, we actually need to listen. And to foster inclusion, we need to give each other space to talk and to be and to, to tell our stories. Um, I mean, and even, and keep on learning, I guess was one of my previous points is just to say during the pandemic, when we thought that we might not keep on existing as a business, for example, because all the business disappeared overnight. Um, at that point, I thought I was a fairly, fairly open-minded um, individual and that I gave people opportunities. But what I realized during the pandemic is that some people had to reimagine their jobs completely mm. and do something completely different because what they did before doesn't exist mm. in this current context. And um, it made me realize that, no, uh, not arrived. Keep on thinking, keep on learning, keep on growing, and keep on asking. And to foster inclusion in a in an organization, 
uh, can't stop there. It needs to foster inclusion in our lives, mm-hmm. right? To make it a, a way of living. And that might sound like a, like almost like the Holy Grail. But if, if we all try and see people around us, if we all acknowledge um, each other's contributions, if we think about what that future is that we could build, then um, we are, we on our way to inclusion. But I don't think we'll ever get there perfectly. But we shouldn't stop trying, right? right? And that will also have an impact on the culture of the organisation. Uh, and it's it's every day getting up with the intent to include. And to your point, it is a choice. It is a deliberate choice. I can go uh, throughout the day and maybe not having a fantastic day, so I'm trying to um, maybe survive a couple of meetings and not really participate, but there are some opportunities there that I could have included or I maybe could have excluded less. Um, so I guess I, I don't want to ask everybody to be aware every single minute and you can't think of anything else. It's almost like when you when you facilitate a workshop for the first time, you're so aware of the, the content, you almost can't hear the context. Mm. But I want us all to practice and to think about how do we listen, how do we, how do we make the choice to include and mm. become better at it. Mm. And I think I have, a, I have a long way to go yeah. myself. Sure. So I want to touch on something that you said, which is we need to listen and we need to create room for the different voices and for us to have the different conversations. And I think that's such an important part, right, of this work, um, of the work that organizations need to do. So shifting from that compliance perspective that you're talking about to do we really live this? Do we really have the intent around it um, at all levels? And, you know, you do mention that it does have a lot to do with what people are going to have to leave behind, so to speak, you know, in order to, to move forward in our organizations. And I've seen you recognize your positionality in different spaces. I've seen you recognize your privilege. I've seen you listen and say, I need to listen more. I, this is a conversation I want to be part of, but I can't own or shouldn't necessarily own, you know, right now. Um, I'd like to listen. I'd like to hear different perspectives. And I think that's important. I think not a lot of leaders can do that. Just the humility to be able to listen to people and their lived experiences as well. And what are some of the ways you believe privilege can be used or leveraged to make space for people who didn't have opportunities or don't have opportunities? How can we use privilege to really make space to listen, to open for voices, for people who otherwise didn't have those opportunities, whether it's in how we leverage social capital, how we leverage exposure, networks, and so on. A couple of things coming up in my mind. I'd rather speak about my own privilege than thinking about privilege in general, because I can qualify that. Um, So I have had lots of opportunities, went to a great school, um, had the opportunity to study. We had lots of privilege opportunities. Um, we didn't really want for anything when I was growing up. I think what where I realized that, that I can make a difference is after I became a lot more compassionate and kind to myself, because I always uh, root the fact that I didn't get involved in the struggle, 
I knew it was going on. I knew, um, you know, that people were struggling. And I was struggling in a way with my own depression, my own teenage anxiety, my own way of trying to fit into the world. And for a number of years, I really, it held me back to open my mouth, to speak my truth, to, to speak out. Because I thought as soon as I say something, you know, it's got, not going to be perfect. But then I realized that, you know, it, it doesn't help anybody to, to try and be perfect. And it doesn't matter who you speak to that you can, if it's messy, you can uplift messily. You can, you need to start somewhere. So a sense of entitlement helps nobody. We need to think about um, almost unplugged, almost completely bare, without mm. um, amplification. You know, how do we, as part of this privilege of being around other people and, and being able to help others, how do we utilize that to the, to the best we can? Mm. It's a topic that really can create some raised pulses, right? Some raised heart rates. Um, if I think of privilege, I need to acknowledge that a lot of what I built on was because of privilege building blocks that I had. Mm. And even though I might have struggled during the uh, COVID space or the pandemic, I was in a very different situation than somebody else that didn't have that. So even though I might feel it was a tough time and so on, I was living through it in a very different way than somebody else next to me. So for me, you know, I need to keep on reminding myself that I, that I have those privileges, that I teach my kids, that I speak to my family about how we don't need more of what we have necessarily, but how can we employ some of that in different spaces that we, we part of. When we talk about privilege, specifically white privilege, I think there's many opportunity and just listening to you speak and speak about your own privilege and talking about your journey and ways in which you um, recognize it and recognize just the, the difference in experience that you have to other people and thinking about as a collective. And I think this is, this is something that often we struggle with is to say, how do we use our privilege in a meaningful way to make room and make space. And you touched on this. You said that, you know, often people, leaders, organizations struggle um, to go beyond compliance because it really requires us to look within and to look at ourselves and how we can make that choice to include every day. And part of that is really letting go of that privilege and letting go of the things that you have enjoyed disproportionately and saying, how do I make room for others? There's opportunity from a collective perspective. I think there's opportunity, yes, for us to, as you have, recognize your own individual privilege, but also to influence, right? To say, how am I influencing within my social spaces? And you've already mentioned family and, and networks and so on. How can you be a voice in that space where people don't necessarily see it that way? 
You know, is that something that you think about or is important to you? Yes, I do. And I think it's um, where it becomes difficult or where it was difficult in the past, which I'm trying to change. Thank you, Bonolo. <laughs> is that um, it was that whole thing of having a conversation in your own head about what you think is fair and how you think we can include more and almost stopping your conversation before you're having it. So um, being in public, um, having a voice where people can hear it is scary, right? But that is maybe if you have the podium, if you have the space to influence, then use it. And again, I, I don't... I think it's easier for me personally to have a conversation one-on-one and, uh, you know, create insight together than preach from a podium. I do think sometimes, though, we need to be provocative. We need to poke um, a conversation. We need to create different perspectives, bring different perspectives um, into the conversation to help people to, to shift their, their mindset, to be able to think differently. And we're not going to do that, or it will be too slow if we do that one person at a time. So that little bit of fear in terms of uh, speaking out and speaking up and the courage to do that is where I think one can maybe use the privilege in the sense that um, you've got the space, you've got the soapbox, let's not you know leverage it to, to make things happen. I think on a more practical level, also in an organization, I, and, and I think in reference to uh, more comfortable with leading from behind, I would like to make space for people to grow. And not only grow, but grow into positions of what is available. And if at the moment that would mean that I'm um, impacting my own potential to grow in my organization, then then so be it. Because I feel, I almost feel I want to step aside while blowing air in into your sails. Um, and maybe that's also a little bit of making space. So the reward is uh, not to necessarily progress in the ranks, but to have other people make sort of a uh, grow in their, their careers, um, if that makes sense. Thanks, Soma. And that certainly speaks to meaningful allyship. And I've experienced you to be a meaningful ally for me personally um, in an organizational setting, you know, truly to make space, to make room for my voice to be heard and for me to have conversations or to ask questions that could be seen as career limiting. But here we are, <laughs> not doing too bad. But um, just that imperative, just that justice imperative that you also um, have expressed is important to you is is what I'm hearing you say um, really informs how how you show up as a leader, how you advocate, how you make decisions. You know, to be able to, particularly in our context, you know, be able to create more space and more opportunities for people to lead and grow within the organization. And, and it's an ongoing process. It's a journey, right? Absolutely. It is a journey. It's a, a journey that sort of changes uh, conversation by conversation, moment by moment. Um, I think sometimes we're scared to start with a big change because it, it feels huge. It feels almost unattainable. 
But if you think about the small things that happen every day that you can change and the impact it has over time, it is about those commitments, it is about fairness, and it is about uh, making sure that if we want to include and we want to show um, that we're serious about it, uh, we're going to have to show it. So let's keep on trying and make sure that we um, we work hard at it. Uh, we are deliberate, very intentional about what we're trying to do. And I love the word deliberate because it's been the theme of our conversation, intentionality, right? This change, the justice imperative, the transformation, the unplugging, the reimagining within organizations that we want to achieve, both from our own perspective, whether it's at BTS, but also as corporate institutions is not going to happen unless we're intentional and deliberate. And I think, you know, some of we've spoken about so many things, but I've really enjoyed hearing your perspectives as a leader, as someone who is committed to growing this conversation, as someone who, you know, has been a meaningful ally committed to elevating voices, making more room and more space for, you know, dialogue um, and disruption to happen. It's been refreshing to hear your thoughts and thank you for holding space, for making space and just reimagining what the workplace can look like with me. Looking forward to the rest of the journey, Bonola. Thank you for having me. Sure. I admire leaders like Soma who are able to look within, lean into the discomfort of challenging conversations while using their voices for meaningful dialogue and change. We know that change is messy, change happens over time, but it's all about being intentional about the change. Soma inspires leaders to be authentic, to walk the talk and to make room for growth. I hope you're inspired to continue this conversation. This is Culture Unplugged.